You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardinbaptist.org. If you have your Bibles open to the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, I just want to confess I tried with the Lord all week long to let me preach one of my favorite texts that I could tie into the beginning of a new year. Have you ever had the Lord just be silent on you, just quiet on you, and you just knew not to go there? Well, I didn't go there. We are a book-by-book preaching church, and we were in the book of Ecclesiastes before we took the two-week break to talk about the wonder of Christmas. And so this morning, we're going to kick off the new year by opening back up the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you have your Bibles, open to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. When I was a kid, don't know how old I was, but many, many times I would be in a group of other kids about my age and somebody would lead us in singing this song. And I believe, if my memory's correct, we even sung this song at church. And it went like this. Now, I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to tell you the words. So rest assured. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Now our version was, if you're happy and you know it, your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. And then we had a second verse where instead of clapping our hands, we would stomp our feet. And then we had a third verse, and this is the reason I think we sung this at Ledbetter in Sunday school. We would say on the third verse, say amen. And then we had a fourth verse to where we would do all three. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, stomp your feet, say amen. And we'd do that again, and then we would sing again. If you're happy and you know it, your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, stomp your feet, say amen. I could tell some of you have sung that song as a child as well. Now, I know this is going to totally blow your mind, and I know you did not know I have this ability, but I am going to take that song and tweak it just a little bit. If you are wise, your face will surely show it, and others will know it. If you are wise, you will be obedient, aware, and joyful. I have put Ecclesiastes chapter 8 to song. Stand with me now. And we're going to read verse 1. Lord willing, as he did in the first service, we're going to try to speak from all 17 verses. If I was to give a title to this message, I think it would be this, living wisely in a fallen world. Living wisely in a fallen world. Let's look at verse one of Ecclesiastes chapter eight. It sets the tone, it transitions from the seventh chapter to the thought of the eighth chapter. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing or a situation? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. Now, can we just read this one more time? Would you really open your mind and your heart to what Solomon is saying here? He's asking a question to his audience. Who is like the wise? Who knows the interpretation of a thing? And then this next part clarifies the first part. A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his heart is changed. Father, one more time we come before you 
so amazed, so blessed, so humble because you rolled out the red carpet of your son's blood so that we could come into your presence, be transformed from a sinner to a saint, from a child of Adam to a child of yours. You're our dad. You know us and we know you. Wow. Father, I sense you right now. I hope I'm not the only one. Father, you know what time it is here at Harden. And you know our desire right now. I do not want to be a speaker only. And Father, I say to you on behalf of this congregation, none of us want to be hearers only. But we want to be doers of your word. Father, we're so excited. Doesn't happen very often, but first day of our brand new year starts on your day, Sunday. The day your son rose victoriously over death and the grave totally changed our life. This isn't the end of a weekend for us. No, it's the beginning of a brand new week. And this morning, a brand new year. Thank you ahead for what Solomon is going to teach us in the book of Ecclesiastes. Even though this would not have been my choice, I believe it's your choice. And I believe when you led Corey to lead us to choose this book as a church, you knew that today would be the day we'd preach Ecclesiastes chapter 8. So help us live wisely in this fallen world. Help us open our heart and our mind now to the truth of your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Before we talked about the wonder of Christmas for the last two Sundays, we were in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I must remind you because some scholars believe that verse 1 of chapter 8 should finish chapter 7. Others believe it begins chapter 8. Some like me don't know if it ends or starts, but knows and believes it's a transition between what Solomon's been saying and what he's fixing to say next. If you remember when chapter 7 ends, he searched the land for wise men and wise ladies. And when he does his count, there's only one wise man for every thousand men he's met. Ladies didn't fare so well. Not a one. Wow. One in a thousand humans, according to Solomon, he would consider wise. Now, wisdom to a Jew was not philosophical, it was not academic. It was theological. It was practical. Wisdom was the ability to take what you know and apply it correctly in a situation. So he asked the question to his audience. Who is like the wise? So could I just ask you, don't show your hand? But are you like the wise? Are you the one in a thousand? Or are you the 999? 
To understand wisdom from a Jewish perspective, he asked the second question, who knows the interpretation of things? See, this is what being wise was. It was knowing how to apply what was going on and react to it in a correct way. It's very practical. And then here's what he says. Your face will show if you're wise or not. Wow. Have any of you ever heard anybody else measure wisdom by a guy's face or a girl's face? No. We look at people and we see them do something or attain something and we say, wow, they're wise. But it's not how Solomon measured wisdom. He says, if you're wise, your face will show it. There will be a radiance that comes from you. There will be a change in your countenance, a change in your face from harsh and hard. Wow. Remember Moses? Went into the presence of God. came out his face his countenance revealed he'd been in the presence of God to the point that he was asked to put a veil over it turn the other way he was so radiant Moses the law receiver the law giver But then we have Daniel. Can you imagine? I mean, we can't. We're Americans. We're Christians in America. Don't have a clue what persecution is. Agreed? Don't have a clue what oppression is. Can you imagine being Daniel? A foreign enemy? comes into your land, invades, takes you and other youth to another land, and then you're chosen to serve the king who ordered the invasion and the slaughter of many of your people, and you're going to serve him. You're not a lawgiver, you're not a law receiver, but you are a law follower. And in that moment when he was put in the educational system, following God's law, he said, I can't eat that. Now I'm reading between the lines, but I think he said it in such a way that the man said, well, what are we going to do if you don't eat this? To which Daniel replied, why don't you let me eat what I know is best and why don't you let the rest eat what the king wants to eat and then let's just set aside 10 days and see if you can tell. Anybody remember what the book of Daniel says after 10 days? The appearance of Daniel and his friends. Wow. You could just look at him and tell a difference. Please hear this. What we're going to learn in the eighth chapter of Ecclesiastes is this, I think. Living wisely may not change our circumstances, but it will change our countenance. We focus on changing circumstances. 
because most of us want to be happy. God's into changing countenance. And that's what wise living does. Remember this. We're going to learn in this book. You can be the wisest man in your neighborhood. May not change your circumstances a bit. But it will change your countenance. And in your circumstances, no matter what they are, good or bad, you can have a radiance that reveals why what's happening to you on the outside may not be good, but what is happening to you on the inside is glorious. Wow. Now, here's what I believe. My ESV version does a pretty good job of letting me see this. But I think when we start through chapter 8, verses 2 through 9 form a unit that tells us how to live wisely. And then verses 10 through 13 form a unit. And then 14 and 15 form a unit. And then verses 16 and 17 kind of conclude what Solomon wants us to hear about wisdom. So I'm not calling verse one an introduction. It's a transition. It transitions us from what he's been saying about his search to wisdom, of wisdom and wise people, to now saying, are you one of the wise? So as I share this message from God, from the book of Ecclesiastes, I just want you to ask this question. Am I wise? Do I have a radiance about me? Have people seen a change in my countenance because of my relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Am I living wisely in a fallen world? Now, here's going to be the marks of living wisely for Solomon. First thing he says is you're going to be obedient. Second thing he says is you're going to be aware. And then the third thing he says is you're going to be joyful. So let's start with verses 2 through 9. It's going to appear on the screen. Whoa. You're not going to like this. We've just come out of a two and three quarters of a year pandemic. And there are many people sitting in this church who feel like we're living under a government that reached way too far into our personal lives. Listen to what Solomon says. I say, if you're like a wise person, Keep the king's command. Whoa. Be obedient to your government. Be obedient to the authority that I've placed over you. Wow. Didn't see that one coming. Did you? That a mark of wisdom from Solomon's perspective would be how we react to authority. And the authority that he starts with is not church authority, not parental authority, but government authority. Now, he tells us why, because of God's oath to him. As much as you and I struggle living in a democracy, can you imagine what it would have been like to be in a monarchy? Can you imagine what it would have been like to be the Apostle Paul and the early church living under Roman oppression? Now, some of you are going to say, Brother Ricky, this is Old Testament. You know what Paul said in the New Testament, right? 
Romans 13. Submit yourselves to governing authorities. Why? Because government is God's deacon. Disrespect government, you're disrespecting one of God's deacons. Whoa. That's the Apostle Paul, not Brother Ricky. But long before that, in his search for wisdom, Solomon knew we lived in a fallen world. And one of the marks of wisdom was this. What's your attitude about your government? Because God made an oath to government. God made an oath to the king. So here's what he tells us, if we're wise. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Now, very few people actually in that day got to be in the literal presence of the king. So I feel like what this is talking about was when the king issued a ruling, you better not quickly disagree with it and do your own thing instead of what he said. You better wisely consider what he said. Why? For the king does what he pleases. Now, you and I are gonna struggle because we've been raised in a form of government that prizes individual authority and individual freedom. We're a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Agreed? And wow, during COVID, personal freedom came out everywhere. But here's what Solomon taught. You, the individual, aren't sovereign. But the government is. And God knows fallen humanity can't be left on their own. Book of Judges is a picture of people doing what was right in their own eyes and it was catastrophic to the nation. Now guys, this is just what the word of God says. Next verse. For the word of the king, no, I'm sorry, next phrase. Can we go back to that? I'm sorry. For the word, or do not take stand in evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. So don't get involved in those movements, he's saying, that cause people to revolt against God's governing authority. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? His rule is sovereign, his will is sovereign, his word is supreme, So you really can't say, what are you doing? But I do say, what are you doing? Do any of you say, what are you doing? Praise the Lord, we're under democracy, not a monarchy. Because we have our legislative branches, we have our executive branch, and we have our judicial branch, and ultimately, if we don't agree... We just appeal to us. No. Your word is not supreme. So be careful when you question. It doesn't say you shouldn't question, but be careful when you question. Now I'm going to throw this in here. We know we have several examples throughout Scripture where godly people did not do what the king said to do or the government said to do. Why? Because in contradiction to what God said. In the book of Acts is clear. As Christians, we're going to obey God, not man. Agreed? But other than that, Jesus told us surrender to Caesar what's Caesar's. And Jesus knew and Paul knew that God gave an oath to government. And government is put in place for our best interest because we live in a fallen world, not a redeemed world yet. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. Now please hear this. As long as you follow what the law of the land is, you're not gonna get in trouble. 
But when you start doing your own thing, it's not going to be good. Now, this last phrase, in my opinion, is teaching this. When you get ready to disagree with those who God's placed over you, the wise heart will know the proper time and the proper way. You won't react in the flesh. You'll react under the control of the spirit and you'll wait till the right time and you'll do it the right way. Two wrongs don't make a right. And even when you feel those who've been placed over you make a wrong decision and do wrong, your response to their wrong can't be wrong. And it won't be wrong if you're wise. But if you're unwise, there'll be a consequence. Now, in these next verses, he's going to explain what he's saying right here. Let's look at verses 6 through 9. For there is a time and a way for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? This goes against everything we believe as an American individualist. I know what's best for me. And here's what the writer's saying. In that moment when what's happening to you is not good and you're broken and you're hurt and you're burdened and you think you know, you may not know what you think you know. Wow. And then he's telling us, in God's economy, there's a time for everything. Does this make sense? Just saying what the word says. Now he's going to drive the point home to show that you and I are not in control. No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. When you're lying on your deathbed and the spirit's getting ready to leave you, there's not a one of us in here that can keep the spirit from leaving. Agreed? And you can't set the day of your death. It's out of your hands. In a fallen world, most things are out of our hands. In a fallen world, God has placed us under authority. Not just his authority, but his deacon's authority. Government authority. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. Now, this doesn't mean before a war you can't run and hide and avoid the draft. But in the war, you don't leave, you don't quit, you don't stop. If you've been in the military, you know this to be true. Matter of fact, there's a terrible four letters that describe someone who deserts the war. A wall. Absent without leave. See what he's teaching? You're in a fallen world. And you don't have ultimate control. So don't ever think this next thought. Don't think if I do something wicked, if I do something evil, if I do something sinful, if I do something self-centered, it's going to deliver me. Because what he says is, if you go to that, no, it will not deliver you. So what do we do who are wise? I know you don't want to hear this. But you obey. You obey God's deacon. The next verse 
Not the next verse. The la- I'm sorry, I'm messing you up on the screen. The last part of that, verse nine. Could we go back to that? And all this I observe while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. I want you to see what Solomon recognized. Solomon recognized that government authorities don't always get it right and there are times when they hurt others. But what's the attitude of the wise? It's we remain in the spirit, not in the flesh. We remain peaceful. We remain obedient. And if something has to be done, we do it at the right time in the right way. Not a flesh reaction that's self-centered, but a God reaction. Now, let's ask you a question. Are you one of the thousand? Or you lumped in with a 999. According to Solomon's definition of wisdom. We as Christians must live wisely in a fallen world. So that our countenance can radiate That it's not our wisdom, but it's the wisdom of God. And those who know us, they'll see a change of countenance. And our faith will reveal it. Now, the second section of Scripture, verses 10 through 13. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well. Whoa. It's like he switches subjects here. It will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him, but it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. Does anybody see the issue here? Remember how chapter seven starts? Better to go to a funeral than a birthday party. Amen? How many of you are searching the obituaries to go to funerals now? Here's what Solomon said. Here's what Solomon said. They buried a wicked man. And evidently, he went to the funeral. And this wicked man had done a lot of evil things, but you know what happened at the funeral? They praised him. Have you ever seen this happen? I have seen it happen. I have almost done this. I've been at some funerals to where the guy doing the funeral preach the guy's message and I'm sitting there thinking I don't know this guy you're talking about this guy was a scoundrel this guy was a drunk this guy you know the kind of guy I'm talking about and by the time that guy got done talking about that guy you'd have thought he was in heaven and we talked about what a great guy this guy was Solomon says, how can a person live their whole life doing evil things and then die and his works be praised? I'm sorry, but we shouldn't have funerals for those kind of people. If we're going to have to lie. Now here's the principle. Because the sentence against evil is not done expediently, the heart of mankind is fully set on sin or evil. Now I'm struggling here with Ecclesiastes because I'm not sure if what Solomon's saying is because the government doesn't execute criminals quickly, then that just lets people think they can get by with sin and they become more sinful. 
Or is he talking about God? Because God as the divine judge doesn't execute wrongdoers quickly. It lets mankind think they can sin and get by with it. Now, come on, let's be honest. Raised where we've been raised, don't we kind of feel the same way about our government? Aren't those some people that we do not want to have the right to be innocent until proven guilty? And we don't want them to have a right to a jury trial and after a jury trial have the right to appeal and appeal and appeal. And some of them, we want their life to be taken from them. And some of us have said, if we were more strict and we had tougher laws and we enforced the laws that we have, we'd have less crime. I'm not really sure in this passage if Solomon's attributed this toward the government or if he's attributing it to God. Because here's what we all know is true. God sometimes judges on a delayed basis. And there's a whole lot of people, according to Romans chapter one, that he lets be as sinful as they want to be under his impending judgment, awaiting future judgment. Wow. And therefore, humanity is just becoming more and more sinful. This is the kind of world we live in. We've been so sheltered as Christians in this area to live in a world that was influenced by Christianity. And now we're seeing those walls crumble. And now we're seeing things that we never thought we'd see. And Solomon says, because we've got delayed judgment and because we're not executing quickly, man's just gonna become more and more sinful. More self-centered. Look at the next part of this. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well. Now, I'm sorry I don't want to change this, but I think Ms. Coleman would agree with me. Ms. Linda, you'd agree with me. He should have finished his thought, but he added another thought here that's confusing. He should have said, though a sinner does evil a hundred times prolong his life, yet I know it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. And then he should say, I know it's well with the righteous, the wise. Now what he says. He's talking about a sinner. A sinner can sin a hundred times and he can, pro- he can live a long life in sin. But when he starts talking about it going well, it looks like it's going well with him because he sinned a hundred times. His life is being prolonged. But he switches to the one who fears God. To the one who's aware of God's presence. He's the one it's well with. The one who's doing the sinning. The one who's enjoying living in a fallen world. It's not well with him. Did you get that? It's not well. Here's what I think he's saying. If we just knew what he knew as king, I'm glad some of you don't know what I know. Because in America, we have so painted the American dream as being the answer that we all live for. If we just knew the people who have arrived and had it all and just saw what went on, what went on behind those walls and what's going on inside, you would know it's not well. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. 
How well is your life when you have everything you think you want and you're getting everything you're striving for, but at the end of your day, you have to knock the edge off? Are you kidding me? Solomon knew it wasn't going well. And it's not going well. Except for one group of people. And that's the group of people that's aware of the presence of God. The group who lives in the fear of God. A fear that doesn't cause us to run from him, but a fear that produces in us such a respect and awe for him that we run to him and we want to live our life his way. Now listen to this. He's talking about doing this in a fallen world. He's talking about doing this when everything around us. People are getting ahead by sinning and being self-centered. But because they're not aware of God in their life, Solomon says it's not well with them. The only ones it's well with are those who in a fallen world are aware of God and his presence with you, near you, in you. Your face will show it. Last section. And this is unbelievable, verses 14 and 15. We're gonna see verse 14 first. There is a vanity that takes place on the earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity. He starts by telling us he saw vanity and then he tells us what he saw and then he reminds us it's vanity. So here's the vanity of life. People don't get what they deserve. Wow. There are some wicked people who live sinfully their whole life, and guess what? They get what good people deserve. Everything happens good to them. And then there's some really good people, and really bad things happen to them. And Solomon said, This is vanity. That's the world we live in, guys. Goes right opposite of what we say. We want people to get what they deserve, right? We want justice. But we live in a land of injustice. So what do you do? How do you and I as Christians live in a world where great things and great outcomes happen to bad people? And then we're going to build monuments to them when they die. We're going to name things after them. We're going to fight for some of those things. And then there's really good people. And some really bad things in life are happening. Well, here's what he says will happen if you're wise. Verse 15. I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. I love this. I pray it rocks your world. If we're going to live wisely in a fallen world, we've got to be obedient to authority. We gotta be aware of God's presence. But thirdly, we gotta be joyful. Joyful. We gotta quit seeking happiness because happiness is based on what's happening to you. It's external usually. Joy. It's not based on what's happening to you. It's based on what's already happened to you. 
You've been brought into right relationship with God through the finished work of his son, Jesus Christ. And in the midst of living in a fallen world where you are striving to do good and to do right, some really bad outcomes are going to fall upon you and some really bad circumstances are going to happen to you. But in the midst of that, you're going to be joyous. And this word commend means praise. What Solomon is saying, I praise joy. I praise joy. There's nothing better we can do under the sun than to eat, drink, and be joyful. Here's why. Because when you're joyful, you take your joy to your work and recognize that all the days you have are a gift from him. Whoa. Whoa. You don't do things to get joy. You don't go to work to get joy. You take joy to your work. And if you take joy to your work, here's what you can recognize. Today is a gift from God. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to focus on the fact that I'm living in a fallen world. I'm not going to focus on all the bad that happens to good people and the good that happens to bad people. I'm going to focus on being wise. My response to whatever's happening is going to be right. I'm going to recognize God's presence. And I'm going to recognize today is a gift from him. And I'm not going to take it for granted. Wow. I wish somebody said Amen. I don't think some of us are connecting the dots. I hope my style of preaching doesn't discourage you or turn you off from God's word. But don't you remember the vanity he saw? Here's the vanity he saw. Here's the vanity he saw. We sometimes get what we don't deserve. And we don't deserve today. And we don't deserve tomorrow. It's a gift from God. And the wise will take that gift from God no matter what their circumstances are. And allow their relationship with Jesus to brighten their countenance in the midst of that circumstance so that others will know we're living wisely. Now I want you to read this last paragraph with me. And we're gonna close. When I applied my heart to know wisdom, to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep. Meaning, if you really contemplate what's going on in the world, it's, it's day and night. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Can I just conclude by saying this? If you're really wise, you realize you don't know. Don't really know what God's doing. Don't really know why that happened, that happened. But Solomon believed it was under the sovereign control of God, which means he either allowed it or he caused it. Now, can I jump to the New Testament? And let's end with this thought. Living wisely in a fallen world, live wisely in a fallen world by recognizing that while you don't know what God is doing, you do know what he's doing. If you're a believer, here's what he's doing. Why you may not understand all the circumstances that are happening. Why the government's doing what it's doing. Why sinful people are doing what they're doing. But here's what you know God's doing. He's conforming you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ.
He is not trying to get the world to be like you. And I don't want to burst some of your bubbles, but he's not trying to make the church like you either. He's trying to make all of us believers like his son, Jesus. And that's what I do know. And that's what sustains me when I don't know. What sustains me is what I do know. He's got a sovereign purpose for it. Therefore, I'm going to choose to be joyous. I'm going to count it all joy when my faith gets tested. Amen. If I'm an unbeliever, here's what I should know. A thousand years is his day and a day is a thousand years to God. He's long-suffering and he's patient. Because you know what he desires? He desires all to be saved. And you know how he's letting us live in a fallen world? You know why he's letting you and me be as sinful as we want to be if we're not a believer? Is to recognize we're under his wrath. Already separated from him and our only hope is Jesus Christ. If you're a sinner living in this fallen world, one day your life's going to be over and you're going to spend eternity separated from God forever and ever and ever. Please. Please. Consider Christ. Believers, let's get our eye off the fallen world. Let's get our eye on the one whose presence is near us. And let's be wise. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for the truth of Ecclesiastes. Father, you know this is a hard book for me to grasp. I've struggled. But wow. Solomon and what you let him discover is earth shaking. And so helps us understand the full picture of the New Testament. Father, I just want to thank you that we're on this side of the cross and not on the side Solomon was on. Because what he didn't know, we do know. That you're working all things according to the counsel of your will to ultimately unite all things in Christ on earth and in heaven for your honor and your glory. And in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardenbaptist.org.